You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Growing up, we called it a quiet time. Some circles, it was referred to as a devotional time. Years ago, I heard one of my favorite authors speaking, and Jerry Bridges called it time alone with God. That transformed my thinking about this time we're referring to this morning. Time alone with God. I'm talking about time spent in the presence of Almighty God where you are giving Him space in your life to speak to you through His Word and then you respond by speaking to Him in prayer. Quiet time, devotional time, time alone with God. It's a wonderful little book by Dick Eastman. And he calls this time the hour that changes the world. Eastman believes that you and I can change the world on our knees in the presence of God. The hour that changes the world, and yet, for many of us, we too often resemble the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into the garden to pray. Jesus knew the cross was coming He's staggering under the spiritual and emotional and physical anguish that he knew was coming. He surrenders to the Father's will. But as he wrestles in prayer with great sweat drops like blood falling from his brow, he gets up to go check on Peter, James, and John, he brought them into the garden to pray with him in that critical moment in redemptive history. And what are they doing? They're asleep. And Jesus says, could you not watch and pray for even one hour? Could you not spend an hour in the presence of God? Eastman calls it the hour that changes the world, but far too often we find ourselves devoid of concentrated, focused time in the presence of God. We're going to be challenged this morning by Daniel. We've been studying through the book that bears his name. 
And we're going to see in Daniel chapter 9 that he provides a marvelous example of what it looks like to change the world on your knees. So keep that in mind. Look with me in Daniel chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll just read the first three verses, but we'll refer to the rest of this passage as we work through this text. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. As you can tell, the lights still aren't fixed. We're waiting for the right part to come so we can get the overall lighting fixed. Uh, when it's fixed, it's, you're going to know it's going to seem like a football game in here with all the lights on because you've gotten used to uh, low lighting. Um, so just bear with us. Um, sorry about that. Just can't be helped, but we will get it fixed in uh, the Lord's timing. I will say that a deacon gave me a little a book reading light for my Bible this morning. Good. That's what deacons ought to do. Blessing their pastor so I can read my Bible in low light. So uh, good job. Good job, deacons. All right. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, Perceived in the books, interesting, in the books, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in this moment, we pause to give you glory. You are the center of attention. You are the reason that we're here. May your name be exalted. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And may we leave this place transformed, encouraged, challenged, practically speaking, to be the kind of Christ followers that, that seek to change the world from their knees. Help us, Lord, to have understanding of this passage by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. We love you and offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Daniel divides really evenly into two, two separate parts. The first part, chapters 1 through 6, is narrative, where we read the story of Daniel and some other Hebrew young men who were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Under Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the Babylonians came marching into Jerusalem, destroyed much of the city, and took thousands of Jews back to Babylon captive. That's the context in which Daniel and and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, they grew up in that context. And their faith in the one true God was tested over and over again. They, they lived in Babylon, but they stayed true to the one true God. And those stories are found in chapters 1 through 6. We've read the stories like 
the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We read about Daniel in the lion's den. We read about handwriting on the wall. Powerful, powerful narrative passages. But things change in chapter 7. The second half of the book, chapter 7 through 12, is apocalyptic in genre, which means it is a, a, a foretelling of things that are to come. And the Lord mainly communicates with Daniel through visions to give Daniel some insight into what was going to unfold. So we've been working through these visions. We've seen a big picture vision in chapter 7 of, uh, of what would transpire from Daniel's time to the time when the Lord will return. We call that the second coming. Last week we looked at uh, chapter 8 where we saw that the, the near future for Israel was predicted. We talked about Antiochus Epiphanes and how Antiochus Epiphanes foreshadowed the Antichrist and how God would win the final victory. We talked about that last time we were together. But here in chapter 9, there's a little pause and there's a little bit of historical background to tell us that this, this moment takes place under the reign of the Medo-Persians. It says there was under Darius, who was uh, by descent a Mede. This is after the, the Medo-Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Daniel still lived in that same area, and he began to serve the Medo-Persians the way he served the Babylonians. In the midst of that, being about 80-plus years old, we see that Daniel was praying. Daniel was spending time with God, and God spoke to him, and he spoke to God in this moment. So before we get to God's answer to this prayer at the end of chapter 9, which we'll look at uh, next week together, God sends a spoiler alert. God sends an angel to answer him. Wouldn't that be cool if God just sent a, if every time you had a prayer uh, need or request, Gideon came knocking at your door to give you the answer? That'd be pretty cool, right? We'll talk about that next week. But this week, I just want to show you how Daniel focuses on time alone with God. And I want to give you, I know this is not good Baptist um, homiletics, but I want to give you two points, not three, all right? Two points related to Daniel's prayer life. First of all, I want you to see Daniel's practice. Daniel's practice. It says there, it was in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of, uh, of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So we find here that under the Medo-Persian reign, Daniel is alone with God reading the word, namely reading the book of Jeremiah. Now, why is that so important? Because we see in Daniel's life a consistency in Spending time with God, a consistency in prayer. For example, over in chapter 2, verses 17 through 23, when King Nebuchadnezzar was furious that none of the wise men could interpret his dream, Daniel rises up and says, with God's help, I'll interpret his dream. He wanted to save the lives of all the different wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's court. But before Daniel goes and stands before the king, he gets his three Hebrew friends together and he says, listen, I need you to fast and pray so that God will give me the answer I need and I can interpret the vision, which is exactly what happened. We see Daniel relying on calling out to God in prayer. And then in Daniel chapter 6, 
Daniel lived with so much integrity that his enemies, if they wanted to destroy him, had to make it illegal for him to practice his faith because that's what he did. He, he practiced his faith consistently. So they talked the king into passing a decree that if anyone talked to any god or made a request of any god for 30 days other than the king, that person would be destroyed in a den of lions. But listen to what it says over in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees, listen, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now listen to this last phrase. As he had done previously. Daniel wasn't showing off. Daniel was just doing what he's always done. Daniel was a man who consistently spent time in the presence of God. Daniel was a prayer warrior and it's consistent throughout his entire life. Daniel prayed when he was a young Hebrew male taken from his homeland. He was a man of prayer. Did you know young people can change the world through their prayers? Amen? But even in Daniel chapter 6, when, when Daniel was probably over 80 years of age, a senior adult by our standards, what is Daniel doing? He's praying senior adults can change the world through their prayers. Amen? He was consistent when he was young and when he was old. He was consistent when the Babylonians were in charge. He was consistent when the, the Persians were in charge. It didn't matter what was going on in human history or his cultural context. Daniel was a man of prayer. And I want you to just be challenged by Daniel's practice. This, this ninth chapter where we see him alone with God calling out on his name is nothing new for Daniel. Just, it was his life, his day in, day out routine, Daniel's practice. I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I want you to answer it in your heart. What does your practice look like? Do you have consistent time alone with God where he speaks to you through his word and then you speak to him in prayer? Call it whatever you want to call it. A quiet time, a devotional life, a time alone with God, the hour that changed the world. Call it whatever you want to call it. But is there a consistent practice of spending time alone with your Creator and with your Redeemer. Daniel's practice. Secondly, second aspect of Daniel's prayer life, I want you to see Daniel's pattern. We can learn practically how Daniel structured his time alone with God. It says, Thereafter he read from Jeremiah, verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I want us to study verses, really verses 3 down through verse 19. And I want to just examine Daniel's prayer and, and learn from it. It's a, it's a great example of what prayer ought to be. And I want us to be instructed by how Daniel prayed and the context in which he prayed. First of all, 
if you look there in your notes, Daniel models a simplicity in spending time with God. Sometimes we make this thing too hard. We make this thing overly complex, and it's really very simple. Did you notice there in verse 2, Daniel perceived in the books. And we learn a little bit later, he's reading from Jeremiah the prophet. He's reading from the Word of God. He's reading the Bible. And then after he reads the Bible, verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord God. He began to pray and fast and talk to God. It's just that simple. In fact, if you look in your notes, how do you spend time alone with God? How do you have a quiet time of devotion? What does that look like? Well, here it is. You ready? You read the Bible, and God speaks to you through his word, just like he spoke to Daniel. We'll talk some more about what he said to Daniel in a few moments. You read the Bible, God speaks to you through his word. you got to have time in the word. We have in our church D groups, discipleship groups, and we go through Bible reading plans together where we're consistently reading through the scriptures and we get together and we talk about those scriptures week after week after week. We even teach you in D groups how to have a hear journal where you are reading a passage and you're thinking about what God is saying to you through that passage. You're actually hearing from God as you understand and then apply that passage to your life. So whether you're in a D group and reading a uh, through the Bible and, and, and keeping a here journal or you're not in a D group right now and you're just reading your Bible, make sure you have a consistent plan to engage the Word of God. Where you are consistently, comprehensively reading through the Bible. For uh, over a decade now, I've been using the the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. And I, I use it to read through the Bible every year. And it has absolutely fundamentally changed my life because I'm opening the Word and I am letting the, the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God speak into my life and transform my mind and my heart. And the plan takes me through all of the Bible. So I'm not just reading, you know, well-known passages or, or, or favorite passages I'm reading obscure books that, that you don't read all the time, like Habakkuk or Haggai or Micah or Amos or other books of the Bible. I have found it invaluable to engage the entire Word of God. And so here's the deal, practically speaking. Make sure you have a time and a plan. A time every day and a plan to engage the Word of God Consistently, If you need help with that, you can email me or one of our staff members. We'll give you some resources. We would love to do that. You read the Bible and God speaks to you through his word. Then, it's really simple, then you talk to God about what you read. How many of you have ever struggled with your prayer life because you find yourself saying the same old thing about the same old thing? Raise your hand if you struggle. Oh, not many of us. Okay, good. All right. That's one of our struggles, isn't it? We find ourselves going through the motions of prayer and we say the same thing we said yesterday and we're, we run out of things to say. Like, how do I pray for more than five minutes? How do I talk to God for, for more than a few moments? I mean, I don't even know what to say. I've run, I've run out of words, right? Listen to me. When you talk to God, 
about what you have just read in the Bible. It will keep your prayer life fresh and vibrant. So if you're reading through Ephesians 4 and it says, be angry and do not sin. Maybe talk to God about some areas of anger in your life. Say, Lord, I, I, I confess that, that I see some, some anger in my heart and in my, my responses to people. And, and sometimes people walk around me on eggshells because they're afraid I might lose my temper or lose my cool. And so, Lord, this is an issue in my life. I need you to help me with this issue of anger. And, and you're just talking to him about what you're reading. We could go on and on and on with different examples of how God speaks through his word and then you talk to him through prayer. Now it's interesting to note that Daniel sees history happening right before his eyes. He saw the Jews decimated by the Babylonians in about 605 BC is when the waves of attacks came from the Babylonian empire. Then in 539 BC he saw the Persians overthrow the mighty empire of Babylon. He saw history happening. The the Babylonians were king of the hill and here come the Medo-Persians and they overthrow the Babylonians and now he's under Medo-Persian rule and reign. And in the midst of this this empire shifting in history Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah. Now I believe that Daniel was directly influenced by Jeremiah's preaching before he was taken into captivity. He was also influenced by King Josiah's religious reforms and and his reign and influence. But he had the book of Jeremiah, and he's reading specifically from Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14, and maybe Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Because listen to what it says in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, This whole land, Jeremiah speaking prophetically, this whole land, the land of Israel, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So Daniel is reading this prophecy of Jeremiah. He said, before the Babylonians ever overthrew, ever overthrew the Jews, you said it was going to be for about 70 years. And I look at the calendar, and 70 years are just about up. So I'm looking forward, God, to what you're going to do with the Jews under Medo-Persian influence. In other words, as Daniel reads Jeremiah, he knows the end is in sight. Think about it. He had been in captivity away from his homeland for probably about seven decades. Seven decades. And now he's saying the end is in sight. God, your people are going to be released from captivity and allowed to go back to their home. He's encouraged by the truth of Jeremiah's words, the word of God. He longs for the Jews to return to home and return to God. He believed what Jeremiah said. He believed the word of God. And in light of what God says, listen, he begins to pray. He begins to pray that God's people would be able to return to faithful temple worship. He lets God speak to him through his word. Then he talks to God about what he hears from him. That's how you change the world. 
That's how you spend time alone with God. Reading the Bible and talking to God about what you read. Let me give you another example of how this can bless you. So a lot of times when we pray, we refer to God uh, by the same name. So sometimes we'll use the term Father, which is uh, very appropriate because over in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. So Father ought to be a part of our address to God. In Christ, we are adopted and we become children of God. He becomes our Abba Father. That's good news. Amen? So call him Father. But have you ever heard yourself saying, Father, 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 Father? And in a two-minute prayer, you say the word Father about 85 times. And before you know it, you're not actually talking to your Father. You're just, you're just letting words leave your lips. You're not thinking through the import of what it means that God is your Father. So I encourage you, when you read the Bible, to find some other titles from God to use when you address Him. And that will give your prayer life a vibrancy. Maybe you're reading Acts 4. The church gathers together under the threat of the Jewish religious leaders. And they pray for God's protection and empowerment. And they start the prayer like this. Oh, sovereign Lord. Is your prayer life a little bit stale? When you get alone with God tomorrow morning, start your prayer like this. Oh, sovereign Lord. And use the different titles in Scripture to talk to God. And I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your prayer time. It'll be exciting and thrilling and vibrant. Instead of Father, 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 or Lord, 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 you're using these different names of God, titles of God, Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh. You're addressing them to the Lord and You're engaged in conversation with God. So Daniel exemplifies, models a simplicity in spending time with God. Don't overthink it. All you need is a Bible. Can I get an amen? It's all you need. Just get alone with God's word. It's alive. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And then read it and then talk to God about what you read. And then email me this week and let me know how it goes. Secondly, Daniel models great reverence for God. Great reverence for God. Look what it says back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. After he turned his face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, pleased for mercy, fasting sackcloth ashes, he humbles himself before the Lord. So I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, look how he addresses God. Oh, Lord, that, that is the translation of the word Adonai. Oh, Adonai, the great and awesome God. Hey, talk to God tomorrow and, and call him Lord, the great and awesome God. Use that phrase. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love, steadfast love with those who love him and keep the commandments. So we see even in the, the ways that he addresses God, there is, there's great reverence for the Lord. You know what it says over in Ecclesiastes chapter 5? This is fascinating. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we are instructed to come before the Lord with thoughtfulness. Not just coming blabbing away, 
In fact, Ecclesiastes says, let your words be few. In other words, spend some time in his presence. Listen, reminding yourself who you're talking to. He's not the man upstairs. He's not your buddy and your pal. He's your father through Jesus. He's your friend through Christ. But you are talking to the transcendent, sovereign, holy God of the universe. You are addressing the living God. And the very fact that you can talk to him is a miracle, amen? Were it not for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and went to the cross and died for your sins and died for my sins and paid the penalty we deserve to pay. Were it not for Christ who died and then was buried and rose from the grave. Were it not for Christ who breathed his last and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Were it not for the finished work of our great high priest, we would never have access to a holy living God. But because of what Christ has done, we can go into the very holy of holies anytime that we want and stay as long as we want because through Jesus, we've been reconciled to a holy God. The Bible says, oh listen dear friends, the Bible says that he inclines his ear, he turns his ear to hear us when we pray. That's a miracle, amen? A miracle. So remember, when you get alone with God, remember who you're talking to. Daniel had this reverence for God. He's in awe of God's character. He calls him there the great and awesome God. He's in awe of God's covenant. It's interesting to note that in verse 2, we see the divine name of God used for the first time in the entire book of Daniel. Look in verse 2. He says, according to the word of the Lord. Now notice that word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the divine name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. When you see capital L, then lowercase O-R-D, that's the translation of the word Adonai, which is the word for Lord or Master or Ruler. But whenever you see Lord in all capital letters, this is the divine name of God. This is the first time we see it in this book. And it's only used in this chapter. We find it in verses 2 and 3, verse 10, verses 13 and 14, and verse 20. Only in this chapter, when Daniel is praying, do we see the divine name of God. Isn't that interesting? In other words, the use of this name was a big deal to Daniel. A big deal. He didn't want to misuse the name of God or just throw the name of God around flippantly. He uses it in the context of Humble prayer. And the reason he uses it is because it is a reminder that God is a covenant God. He entered into a covenant with Abraham and, and his descendants, thereby creating a, a nation called the Jews and promising to preserve them and protect them so one day through them he could send the Messiah whose name is Jesus. And Daniel believes that God keeps his promises Daniel believes that God is a covenant God. Daniel believes I can count on him. And he calls him 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. Or in our translations, Lord. The Latin translation is Jehovah, the divine name of God. This is the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush. Take off your shoes, Moses, you're on holy ground. Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses said, well, when I show up and say, God sent me, who should I tell him you are? And he said, tell him I am that I am. That's basically an extended translation of the Hebrew verb of being, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. The covenant name of God. He's in awe of God's character. He's in awe of God's covenant. Third, he's in awe of God's compassion as he works through this prayer. Look what it says there in verse verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's praying in light of God's love. God, I believe that as I pray, as I call on your name, that you love me. You are a God of great compassion. And I'm going to count on that compassion a little bit later on in the prayer. But David models great reverence for God. How about you? Do you need to recapture reverence in your prayer life? Where you find yourself on your knees... In awe of God. When was the last time you found yourself, like the song says, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the very mention of his name? David models great, or Daniel models great reverence for God and Then we see Daniel models confession and repentance. Daniel models confession and repentance. In verses 5 through 15, Daniel begins to confess the sins of the people that had led to their captivity, led to the Babylonian overthrow. The Babylonians were an instrument in God's hands to bring judgment on his people. God kept sending prophets and God kept sending messages saying, turn to the one true God, stop worshiping false gods, obey me, live for me, love me. And they kept spurning God's messages and they crossed the line and God sent the Babylonians to overthrow the Jews. And in light of that, even the sins of the people while they were in captivity, Daniel models confession and repentance. We see the scope of the people's sin in verse 5. Look what it says in verse 5. Daniel says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. Notice that six different aspects of Israel's sin are mentioned. He uses the phrase there in verse 5, we have sinned. He uses the phrase, we have done wrong. He uses the phrase, acted wickedly. Wickedly. He uses the word, rebelled. He uses the phrase, we've turned aside. He uses the phrase, we have not listened. We see the scope of their sin. Six different words or phrases are used to speak of their disobedience to God. And we see also the scope of the sinners. Look in verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. 
to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. In other words, Daniel's saying, when you look at our nation, there's no one who's not guilty. From the politicians, to the princes, to the people, to our ancestors, we have sinned against you. But here's what's striking to me about Daniel's confession and repentance. Notice how many times Daniel uses the word we. For example, just look in verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly. Look in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, Daniel says, open shame. And as you trace this theme throughout this prayer, it it holds steady. Daniel includes himself in the confession and repentance. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Daniel was not perfect. He was just a human like all of us in this room. But the Bible never records any shortcomings. It just gives us the good stuff about Daniel. So we don't know of any egregious areas of sin or rebellion in Daniel's life. In fact, he consistently exemplified righteousness and godliness. And here's Daniel saying, we, us, when he was confessing sin. James Montgomery Boyce comments on this and he writes, when we confess sin, we have a tendency to confess the sins of other people. You ever been there? Or if we do not do that, we confess sin in a manner meant to excuse ourselves. And Daniel's not playing that game. Daniel's not playing the comparison game. I'm better than those folks. He's not playing the excuse game. He's he's real before God. He's he's got on sackcloth, this real rough uh, material they put on to to portray their, their mourning before God. He's brokenhearted over the people's rebellion and he's brokenhearted over his own sin. And I believe, I want you to hear me carefully, I believe this is the key to revival in our nation. When Christians, the house of God, stop saying, look at those people and start saying, God, deal with me. Deal with my life. Deal with my issues. Change my heart. It starts with me, God. Do a work in me. I confess my sin, making no excuses. I repent before you in humility. How about you? I know there's a lot of issues in our country. Goodness, there are a lot of issues in our country. And I know there's a lot going on. And I know you're disappointed by a lot of people's behavior. And I know you're concerned about the direction things are going. I am too. But when's the last time you took a spiritual inventory? For example, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? 
If you want to change the world, if you want to see America go in a, a different direction, we've got to be the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We've got to be salt in this land. Amen? Oh, we can learn from Daniel. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray for your nation, when you pray for your community, when you pray for your family, when you pray for your marriage, take some ownership. Instead of that person over there, God, it starts with me, I repent before you. And then this whole aspect of the prayer has the summary statement in verse 15. Look what it says in verse 15. We're almost done. Look in verse 15. And now, Daniel 9, 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. I, I love that because you know what Daniel's doing there? He's saying, God, you've been so good to us. You brought us out of Egyptian bondage and captivity. I mean, you parted the Red Sea. <laughs> you took care of us in the wilderness. You built and preserved a great nation. Even in this captivity, you've held us together. You're not through with your people yet. In light of your grace, God, I am sorry that we have done wickedly. In light of how good you have been, I'm sorry that we've spurned your mercy toward us. Very quickly, Daniel models confession and repentance, but Daniel also models powerful pleading. Look in verse 16. We're getting to the crescendo here. O Lord, according to all your righteous Acts, let your anger, your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill because of our sins. For the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Something makes me think that when Daniel was praying this prayer, the windows opened towards Jerusalem, praying towards the city, praying towards the, where the temple was. Something tells me Daniel wasn't saying, oh, Lord, act. Oh, Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, move. You can, you can feel the intensity, can't you? Oh, Lord, we need your mercy. Oh, Lord, we need your help. Oh, Lord, restore your people. He is, he's, he's not just praying. He's praying. And you know the difference, don't you? He's not going through the motions. He is powerfully pleading to God. In fact, in verse 4, in the Hebrew, when it says, I prayed to the Lord my God, that word prayed in the Hebrew language is emphatic. It means something like, I really prayed. I mean, I prayed. I got after it. I prayed and called out to the Lord. Daniel models powerful pleading 
And then last, Daniel models a God-centered perspective. This is where I want to end. In verse 17... Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your sake, O Lord. Notice that phrase. For your sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Restore your people. Bring us back to Jerusalem so we can rebuild the temple and worship you according to your law. Restore the temple, God. But notice he says, for your own sake. Then look at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Look at the next phrase. For your own sake, O my God, because your, your city and your people are called by your name. You know, what, you know what Daniel's praying there? He's praying, God, I, I'm asking you to move so that your name will get more glory. I'm asking you to move so your name will be revered and made more famous. I'm asking you to move so more people will see how great you are. Praying with a God-centered perspective. Do you pray that God will move in your life or in someone's life that you're praying for, for His glory? Do you pray that way? Is your ultimate concern the name of God? Is your ultimate concern the glory of of God? So when you you pray for your marriage, don't just pray that God will work in your marriage so that you'll have a happier, healthier home. I mean, that's good. That's a good way to pray. But don't stop there. Pray that God will work in your marriage so that people will see Jesus in your marriage. When you pray for that prodigal in your family, don't just pray that God will get their attention and bring them home. Of course we want to see that happen, but pray that God will do it in such a way that people see God's transforming power in that person's life. When you pray for your church, Don't just pray that we'll be a good church or a great church or a strong church or a healthy church. I mean, all that's good. Pray for that. But pray that God would so move in our church that when people come into contact with our ministries, they walk away not saying, what a great church. They walk away saying, wow, what a Savior. Pray that God will move in response to your prayers for the glory and the fame of his great name. Let me tell you why that's important. Because God delights in his name. God delights in his name. And you can bet when you pray for the glory of God in the name of God, for the for the the manifestation of his greatness in our culture, when you pray that way, God loves to answer those kind of prayers. Because those kind of prayers aren't just about you, are they? They're about him. And so Daniel is a model for prayer and time alone with God. Whatever you want to call it, quiet time, Devotional life, 
time alone with God, an hour that changes the world, whatever you want to call it. If you want to know what it looks like, look at Daniel. And this we know. We're going to see as we read through the rest of chapter 9 next week. Gabriel's going to come and give him an answer, which is pretty awesome. We know that Daniel's prayer is answered. And God moves through his prayers that culminate ultimately in the Messiah, which we'll talk about next week. But do you believe, do you believe that you can be alone in the presence of God on your knees and change the world? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.